Hi, and welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast with host Dr. Eileen Winokur, featuring awesome educators and leaders who share their journeys, advice, and personal stories about feeling a sense of belonging. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging. Today on my podcast, I have someone who I heard a couple of months ago on a broadcast that uh, Stephen Hurley does in his morning, my afternoon, and she was somebody that I immediately connected with and reached out to her and she said, yes, I'm really busy, but we'll, we'll, you know, we'll figure this out. And so finally, she has some time. I'm so excited to have you on, Dana Fulweiler. Thank you so much for making the time today. Thank you so much, Eileen, for having me. It is um, a real honor. So I'm grateful to be here and, and glad that our schedule is aligned. Yes, finally. So I didn't really say too much about your background, what you're doing, what you have done. Um, tell our listeners a little bit more about you. So I am an educator, um, have, you know, it's in my heart and it's kind of all that I've done. So has been around education. So Mm -hmm. I was a public school teacher starting in 2006. I taught junior high for a number of years and then high school, um, a range of different subjects. And throughout my experience teaching, I started to develop this passion for well-being and just seeing it as such a foundational piece to the right. learning process and also just growth of humans in general. Um, so that took me on a lot of different pathways. I did a master of education focused on whole school well-being and building a culture of school well-being. Um, and then I started teaching psychology at the high school and learned about positive psychology actually through teaching um, psychology. And every semester, my students, it just really resonated with them. It resonated with me as a human and my colleagues, just this idea of a strength-based approach and, you know, that we should be just as focused with what goes right with us as we are with what goes wrong. (laughs) So I've just been so fascinated with that field, seeing the impact it's had on me and on my students and colleagues. Um, So pursued a master's in positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. Since then, I've since become an assistant instructor in that program, which is a continued honor for me um, to be a part of the program. And uh, I currently also am a a sessional instructor at the University of Calgary um, in their Bachelor of Education program. So I get to work with pre-service teachers, which is also a huge honor. And yeah, it's actually a, a well-being course and talking about comprehensive school health and uh, really cool to be a part of that in the teacher education space too, which I think is super important. So teacher education and teacher well-being has been a huge passion mm-hmm. of mine, but really well-being overall and well-being science. So that's kind of the world I'm in um, now and doing different facilitations and workshops for schools, organizations, and consulting and just supporting in any way I can. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and so, and so that's where part of the connection is anyway. I know there were some things that you talked about 
with Stephen and um, you know the whole idea of being connected and the idea of well-being, which is so important. So the first question I usually ask my guests is if I say the word belonging or sense of feeling a sense of belonging, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I think of comfort and connection and also curiosity and growth. So having the comfort to be you, to take risks, to ask questions, mm -hmm. to be vulnerable um, and to learn and grow and change and evolve um, and to be wrong. <laughs> And, you know, all the while through that process, feeling a sense of connection to self and to your world and to the people around you. The curiosity, I think, comes in because I think our sense of self-belonging and community belonging are constantly evolving. So I think of comfort and connection um, and also curiosity and growth. You know, having the comfort to be yourself, um, mm -hmm. to take risks to be wrong, to ask questions, uh, to learn and grow and evolve, you know, um, all the while feeling that sense of connection to the world around you, the people around you, and perhaps most importantly to yourself. Um, and then the curiosity for me, I think comes in because our sense of self belonging and community belonging are in constant evolution. So it requires us to connect to who we are, the lessons we're learning along the way, and also lean in and learn from those life experiences and from those around us. Um, and just yeah. be curious about, you know, ourselves and about others. Because um, our identity shifts, you know, through life experience. Um, so just being open to that. But I think mm -hmm. of belonging as having that comfort and connection to be able to, to grow and evolve. Yeah. I love the idea of curiosity in that mix. You know, in all of the episodes that I've, I've recorded, nobody's ever really connected the idea of being curious and having that idea for searching for, and, and I guess that's one of the things, if I think of it now, because I never thought of it before, started me on this whole journey to belonging, was mm. my curiosity about when people said to me, how do you feel comfortable in Buffalo, New York and Kuwait? It's, there's just so different. How, how do you feel, you know, at home in both places? And so you're right. It was that curiosity and searching for, but I just never thought about it until you mentioned it just now. So thank you. That's wonderful. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. It's kind of, I, I have these conversations, you know, my husband and I talk about these things a lot actually. And, and that's something we were, you know, just reflecting back on both of our childhoods. We both grew up in really small communities uh, in Saskatchewan and such, you know, great experience, great, great childhood growing up. The sense of belonging sometimes came in the way of like fitting into what, you know, you really felt um, that community was or who your identity should be <laughs> based right. on, you know, the place that you're currently in. Mm -hmm. And just the curiosity that we both had about what, who we are, what we want in life, you know, we both kind of wanted to explore. Um, and that, that curiosity to learn from other people who were around us, but also just seeing the world as like this big curious place that, you know, we wanted to go and belong in. <laughs> yeah. um, but that constant evolution too of self-belonging 
of who am I, who do I want to be? And that sense of comfort with yourself, I think, again, is something it's like a daily ongoing learning journey for me. (laughs) I think for all of us, you know, Mm -hmm. well, it should be, I think maybe Mm -hmm. we don't think of it that way. Um, And for those who, um, you know, the question I want to ask is, were there many people in your communities who moved out and were curious enough to sort of explore? Because I know I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and I, I had many people when I was growing up say to me, I never want to leave Buffalo. Some had never been outside of Buffalo. They were perfectly happy just to do things inside. They never traveled anywhere. So I'm curious, to see, and Buffalo isn't that huge, but it's probably bigger than where you grow, grew up. What was that Definitely. like? Were, were you sort of different? You felt that there was something else out there and, and the fitting in just wasn't who you were. Does You weren't sure. Yeah, I think that looking back, I also celebrate those who did what they wanted to do for their own self, you know, for those mm-hmm. who, who stayed, sure. you know, the choice, I guess, of, mm-hmm. of being able to do what you want with your life, whether that's, right. you know, the, the way that they grew up and wanting to raise a family there, um, or, you know, whatever their choice may have been. I know for Shane, my husband, he, his, he graduated with, I think, six or seven people. So really small. Wow. <laughs> and was really excited to, to go and adventure and experience different things. And I also have friends who did that and, and also just their heart belongs in, in that um, place that we grew up in. And mm-hmm. so they felt this desire to, to go back. But growing up, I felt, you know, some sort of pressure wherever it came from. It wasn't really from my family at all. They've always been encouraging to go do things. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to, you know, you get married, you have the house, you have the job, you have the kids and those kinds of things. Yeah. And I think it's just this acceptance of, um, and, and that comes over time with confidence too, of like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I can go and just experiment and try different things. And then you make a choice based on who you are authentically and who, who you want to be in the life you want to live. Cause I think a lot of times we get wrapped up in outside messages that affect us, even if they're not intentional, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they might not be intentionally doing that, but that's something that just influences our decisions. And I think over time I've been able to realize, um, and I still am more and more what I guess myself and my own choices and where they're born from, if that makes sense. So, you know, recognizing, oh, is that, is that actually something I want to do? Or is that like rooted in something else? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. That self-awareness is so important that, you know, sort of metacognition of being able to really know what you know and realize that you're knowing it, which sounds kind of weird, but yes, absolutely. (laughs) The whole idea of being able to determine this is what I need to do And like you said, you know, for some people just staying where they were was fine. They were happy doing that. And for those who ventured outside the realm of that small town, maybe ended up back because they decided that's what they were more comfortable, where they were more comfortable. So you're right. Yeah, it is this whole idea of journey and self-discovery. And it does take a lot of confidence. You know, people told me, oh, gosh, you moved so far away or whatever. And I said, well, I followed the love of my life. So I don't know that I was so adventurous. <laughs> but I suppose if you look at it the way, you know, the way people do from the outside, I guess it was. 
So the, yeah. well, and I think that like when you feel that sense of belonging within yourself yeah. and that, that, um, deep connection to who you are, which again, I think evolves over time, but then wherever you go, there you are and you can belong wherever <laughs> because yes. that, that sense of belonging. I mean, I think there's two sides to it. There's that, that sense mm-hmm. of self-belonging and then we're wired to connect with other people too. So we really sure. crave and need that as well. But I think that's been really magical as I've gotten older and developed more of a connection to my self belonging um, that you start to realize, you know, you get a bit more comfortable, I guess, getting outside your comfort zone (laughs) and moving into spaces where you maybe don't yet have a community um, Mm -hmm. through work or, you know, the place you live. Right. Yeah. And the whole idea is having that self-confidence, you know, it's like, Brene Brown talks about the fact that you you have achieved that sense of belonging, that self-belonging, when you don't feel lonely when you're alone, right? That it's okay to be alone, but you don't feel lonely. And it really hit me because it's exactly what you said, that you have that sense of, I don't feel worried about the fact that I'm by myself, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. So, and it is something that we develop over time. So, yeah. Yeah. And I I'm think re- it has a ripple effect, you know, like mm-hmm. if you are feeling, if, oh, if you sure that strength, that kind of like, that does affect who you are in the world and the way that you um, can interact and support other people. Well, it makes for healthier relationships. That's for sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm interested in uh, the applied positive psychology. And you mentioned it a little bit in terms of, of course, uh, your master's and the course that you're teaching uh, for the University of Pennsylvania and also the work that you're doing as a a mentor and with the pre-service teachers. Talk a little bit more about that for for our listeners who don't know what applied positive psychology is and how you got interested in that. Mm -hmm. Um, So positive psychology as a field is really a response to, well, I'll tell you just a brief history of it. Um, Dr. Martin Seligman became the president of the American Psychological Association in 98 and was a clinical psychologist, really had studied depression a lot. And at that time, just kind of introduced this idea that psychology as a field Mm -hmm. could be just as focused with what goes right, as I said earlier, with us um, as it is with what goes wrong with us. And then so born is this field, which now has, you know, a wealth of research behind it in the things that bring us joy and meaning and positive relationships and, you know, the, the impact of positive emotions and, um, you know, building strengths and resilience and the impact that has across sectors. So now there's a lot of subfields, positive education, positive neuroscience, and the applied piece in the degree is, it's pretty remarkable people coming to the field are from all different fields. (laughs) So in my class, there's educators and, you know, psychologists and um, people in the business world and people, lawyers, like from all different sectors coming to learn about how we can take a proactive approach to supporting Mm -hmm. well-being and mental health in all these different areas. 
Yeah. Um, Instead so- of waiting for the negative to happen and then yeah. try to treat it afterwards. I love that. Exactly. Exactly. And so at, on the individual level, and then also at, you know, the organizational and community sure. level as well. Sure. Um, so that's, I, I support one of the class I support in the MAP program is taught by Dr. James Pawelski on positive interventions. So looking at, you know, different ways that we can uh, intervene and support through these proactive strategies in, in various sectors and looking at the um, philosophical theories behind that mm-hmm. and also the, the scientific approaches and the studies that have been done so far. And the support with the uh, pre-service teachers, I just think it's all interconnected and everyone can benefit from, from this work, you know, and I think it really connects to belonging in so many different ways, but it's the, the combination of us developing ourselves and our own well-being practices, and then also as systems and Mm -hmm. organizations and coming together and thinking about uh, how we can best support each other. Yeah, so so I I kind of want to get into, especially now with all that's going on, it's uh, been uh, almost a year now or about a year, and we're in this traumatic situation Uh, mental health is, you know, at the forefront, and trying to sort of keep our heads above water. And you mentioned in your background information, different areas, and also in, you know, when you talked about your bio, uh, different areas that you're uh, applying this positive psychology. So I'd like to sort of go through one by one so that our listeners can see some of the actual applications of that, that you are working on. So um, I want to start with creating a sense of belonging or using that applied positive psychology as a teacher in your classroom. What Mm -hmm. does that look like? What are the kinds of things like with the pre-service teachers do you talk to them about? Well, one of the things, because right now that, that course is online, you know, that's, that's a totally different space (laughs) to be you know, cultivating connection and a sense of belonging. So some of the really actionable tools and strategies, um, Dr. Adam Grant, who uh, guest lectured in MAP, talks about, you know, starting conversations with big talk versus small talk and asking like the types of questions we ask uh, that dig out stories and experiences um, versus the Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Great. <laughs> the, Very the superficial. More, yeah. yeah <laughs> the kind of passive. Um, so for example, with, with my, my class, we start every class with a one-to-one breakout room check-in with a big talk question. So a big talk question might be like, what are you proud of from this past week? Or what was your biggest blooper <laughs> from <laughs> the past week, you know, and just, normalizing those kinds of things, especially as new teachers. (laughs) What are you excited about in the week ahead? Um, What is bringing you joy right now? Like those kinds of questions that tease out again, our stories and experiences and help us connect and empathize with each other. Um, There's a whole, you know, list of different scaffolded questions for vulnerability to, to help us build psychological safety in groups and teams too. I think that's been a really actionable thing is just, and in, you know, high school and junior high too, thinking about cultivating 
those opportunities to connect on a deeper level and strengthen those connections with those big talk questions and even getting students to generate them. (laughs) You know, they back to that curiosity piece, like what kinds of things can we learn from each other? And I think one of the other skills um, for building strengthening connection, building high quality connections is a strategy called active constructive responding. And that's another one that I've used a lot and introduced to new teachers as well. So it's really just about the way we respond to people's good news. And I find that as teachers, we sometimes like shy away from, and people, I think in general, we, we don't want to seem braggy. <laughs> so we tend oh, to not. Oh, teachers especially. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> we are so, yes, yeah. exactly. So I, I just really want to encourage us educators and new teachers to, to share good news because the science is really clear. It's mutually beneficial. If we share good news with someone and they actively respond to us. So the ACR process is about asking probing questions and being really curious. It comes back to that curiosity, like, tell me more about that. And you help them relive the experience, um, help them, you know, see that there's um, genuine interest in knowing about this, this win. And yeah, again, the research is really clear that it gives such a positive well-being boost to both parties. And then we're more likely to share good news in the future. So if a student, you know, comes to you and says, wow, like you're my favorite teacher or, you know, whatever the case may be, like Mm -hmm. go share that with someone. And then if someone's sharing their good news with you, actively, constructively respond to it. (laughs) Ask them, you know, tell me more about why that's important to you. How did it make you feel? Um, what does it make you feel now? You know, who was there? What happened? And I think we can even build that into existing structures in schools, like in a staff meeting, you know, you could start with just connecting with one other person and saying like, tell me something good. What went well this week? (laughs) And then building on that by asking questions. Yeah. That's so gratifying for the person who might not even really have thought that it's such a big deal. The fact that the other person is really interested and begins to ask questions about it. So, you know, that's, that's extremely gratifying. It's wonderful to a wonderful way to celebrate that moment or that occurrence or whatever happened. And we don't celebrate those things enough because we're so into the negative and so into trying to problem solve all the time that we tend to, to think of those things yeah. instead. And I, I like the way you, you started uh, talking exactly. about colleague to colleague and in, in a staff meeting, that was going to be sort of my, my next situation. In the, you know, right now there's a lot of tension Teachers, some teachers are in the building, some teachers aren't in the building. Um, in general, just sometimes the atmosphere in a building is, is rather toxic. You know, I've worked in situations where some teachers were favored and other teachers felt left out or whatever. So how do we create those positive, what are some other ways we can create those positive experiences? And for administrators, um, and for instructional coaches and things like that, what, what can they do in order to sort of do the kinds of things you're saying, which is 
celebrate, listen to the positive stories, but not with the po- toxic positivity where that's all exactly. we think about, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that that people are, you know, rightfully really sensitive to that right now, Mm -hmm. because it just dismisses and minimizes our very real challenges right now. (laughs) Um, It's really not about happyology or just like think positive, Um, but really honoring. I think that's a that is a, a big thing that leaders and all of us as colleagues can do for each other is to honor where we're at right now. And honor the full spectrum of our experience. Um, So I think there's lots of different ways to do that. I'm going to talk about mattering in a minute, but even just acknowledging um, like one other thing that I've I've done in sessions before and with my class is like a two word check-in, like two words that describe how you're feeling right now. And you know, if you can smurge them even better. So my go-to that I've been feeling a lot this year is nervous sighted. I've been feeling really nervous and really excited at the same time. (laughs) And there's really hilarious smurged words that people come up with like palm (laughs) fuse, you know, but it's the acknowledgement that you can hold these two seemingly opposite things. Like you can feel, feel and experience fear and apprehension and hope and gratitude at the same time. You know, even just that acknowledgement and, and quick check-in can make a huge difference in just feeling heard, you know? And I, I think that, that we don't need to underestimate how something that simple, it just means a lot to people. Yeah, just, because it validates, Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of a fun way to do it too, because it is. Yeah. I like it. Just hearing it. I'm already enjoying hearing about it. Yeah. (laughs) And I feel like that's going to be my go-to for, because I'm doing a lot of new things right now. So I'm very nervous about them and also very excited. (laughs) Yeah. So even for your own personal self, that's the way you're feeling. Yeah. But it's true. Sometimes we feel opposite feelings. It's, it's such a paradox. Yeah. And it's okay. And, and um, Susan David, she uh, has a book called Emotional Agility, and I just, I really respect and admire her. And it's um, a lot about not staying attached to our, you know, emotions, not being, not over-identifying with them. And she has a process that she explains for, for being able to navigate that, but really that our negative, quote unquote, negative emotions or the the ones that are unpleasant, um, they also have a lot of messages in them (laughs) that we can lean into and listen to, but to not over-identify. So rather than I am sad, I'm feeling sad right now. Talking about it as an experience you're having and a very very valid one. Along those lines to introducing practices like self-compassion into a school workplace, Kristen Neff's work. I know a lot of educators who have really resonated with that and school teams who have really been intentional with Mm -hmm. introducing some of those practices. Um, But I think at the very base level, cultivating a culture of mattering is uh, so important and powerful. So Isaac Priltensky, he's a community psychologist at the University of Miami. And he introduced to our our class this concept of mattering. And he talks about two essential pieces of that, which are impact and recognition, or feeling as though you have opportunities to add value and that you feel valued. 
And so that really hit me learning about this. <laughs> Um, and just how something so simple, like, and, and to actually conceptualize mattering that way, feeling that we count, feeling that we can make a difference, you know, and then that self-validation too. And that's where that savoring piece comes in and being able to celebrate our wins and what goes well. And then also to have that validation externally too. That's something that fuels our um, agency. <laughs> so that, that combination and even just among our colleagues and I think in our classrooms thinking in what ways are we you know creating a culture of mattering here where people feel that they have opportunity to add value and are they feeling valued are they feeling recognized um, and how can we build those in I also think that it's most impactful for the school community themselves to ask these questions and answer them for themselves um, a lot of my work around whole school well-being and things I've read and learned about along the way, it's much more powerful and sustainable when it comes from the inside out. Absolutely. Yes. You know, so just, I think if we can help support with the right questions that you can ask or the types of questions you can ask your school community, then yeah. get the community themselves involved in figuring out what they need and what kinds of practices like these might be helpful that would also be a great place to start. Yeah, that whole idea of personalizing the process by mm -hmm. taking it and, and it starts from the grassroots, yes. which also recognizes the talent and the skills and the knowledge of those you already have on board, parents, all stakeholders, yes. parents, students, and teachers and administrators, everybody who is there as part of the community and mm -hmm. What a great way just to start the validation process from that. Exactly, I, yeah. Yeah, but I want to ask you because often when we think of that kind of validation, there are things like, um, you know, I'll bring it to something really basic, like we're going to validate what students are doing. Uh, I'm going to validate what students are doing in my classroom. So if they do something good, I'm going to give them a sticker or, you know, a pat on the back or something like that. But you're you're talking about something much deeper, aren't you? Yeah, I think that there are, you know, different types of ways that our cup is filled. And, you know, for some, that is also beneficial. Like I get a real charge out of crossing something off my to-do list. Oh yeah, I know <laughs> you that. Know, and I, <laughs> I'm with you and, on that. <laughs> and it's like figuring out what works for that student at that time and where they're at and what their comfort level and readiness for that feedback and connection is. Um, but I do think that it goes beyond the, the good job and the, the sticker. And I think it connects back to belonging and identity because through the process, we're helping ourselves and helping each other discover that identity and discover that self belonging because it's a constant evolution. I think and as teachers, we have a real responsibility to help students figure that out. And we're figuring it out ourselves too, who, sure. who we are and what those things are and asking, asking questions. Um, and for a student who's had a win happen, instead of maybe just like a, oh, good job or, or a sticker, maybe asking questions like, what do you feel proud of, of in what you just did? Or like, how does it feel for you right now to have just accomplished that? Right. And 
really engage in that conversation just the next level, I guess. Yeah, so I think if, if we're talking about instilling the skills at the basic level for each person to be able, whether child or adult, to be able to have that curiosity, discover on their own and be able to sort of go out into the real world, fully able to name the feelings, um, know yes. about the big questions and um, almost be able to, well, have that agency, like you said. So to be able yes. to champion themselves and the others around them that we all deserve this positivity, right? Yeah normalizing, I guess, the human experiences we all go through, normalizing yeah. the feelings that we feel, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, normalizing mistakes and learning. And I think all of that comes into it and normalizing the conversation of strengths, I think too. So that's another piece of the applied, I guess I didn't maybe fully answer your earlier question, but the applied positive psychology excites me because our whole program was about applying this, <laughs> like taking these and making it practical and, and meaningful. Um, yeah. But one of the, the foundational pieces of that is around strengths. And viacharacter.org offers um, a survey that there's one for adults, one for youth, 11 to 17 years old. And then I think there's one in development for children as well. But just to help us better understand our own strengths, our own character strengths. And then there's a ton of activities and research to back the impact of, of this too, in using our strengths um, in new ways. Because at the end of the survey, you get kind of a constellation of your, your character strengths and your top five strengths are, they come naturally to you, they're energizing. So I've found that really impactful in working with students as well. My high school students doing the VIA with them. And every semester I would have students who would say, this is the first time I've really thought about my strengths like this. Um, Amazing, wow. In grade 12. So I think that just speaks to, and I hadn't as an adult <laughs> until I took Sure. you know, the VN started thinking about those things, but it's like normalizing that we, we all have these different combination of strengths and how cool that is and what we can learn from each other around that. Yeah. Um, and then how we can use those strengths to sort of help us with the things that we're still not able to do. Exactly. I remember learning, learning about that when they were talking about the whole idea of learning modalities and there's this big debate now about whether that really exists and so forth. And I, I don't remember where I picked it up, whether it was an article or um, a PD session. Somebody, somewhere I picked up the fact that it's really important not to just work on the strengths or sort of look at and teach to the strengths, but to have the students be able to name the strengths, just like you said, and be able to use those strengths to work on the th areas that still need improvement, not look at Absolutely. them as weaknesses. And yes. I, you know, that totally relates to it. So there's obviously science behind it also. For sure. Yeah, that's, I, I love that. And I, if for anyone who is interested in learning more about that on the Via Character website, um, they have a research tab and they've kind of categorized the different research that um, has come out over the years with this. Mm. And then for educators, characterlab.org is an amazing resource. 
for cultivating um, all sorts of character strengths and uh, yeah, lots of, of free evidence-based resources there. Excellent. Yeah. And I'll include that all in the show notes too, for people to be able to access the, uh, the resources that you've mentioned and, and the books that you've mentioned also. Yeah. Amazing that so much that um, I, I see in the area of the positive psychology and then actually applying it is so meaningful. And where, if a school is looking to start somewhere, where, where is the best place to start looking at, if, if we're looking at a grassroots kind of thing? And let's say maybe it's not the whole school, but there are some teachers who are listening or, or learning about what you're talking about and are really interested in, in moving forward. What are the kinds of things mm-hmm. they can start doing in order to get that culture moving, the culture of mattering and, and all of that? I mean, just base, basic kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, first of all, I I would invite them to not feel overwhelmed by the wealth of resources out there and all the different things. That's a good suggestion. Yes. Yes. Because I know I felt, (laughs) I've been there. I've felt that. Mm. (laughs) And that it's just these tiny tweaks, you know, to start. Like one of the first things I did um, in my very first school, I connected with one other teacher who also was really passionate about this. And we created just like a well-being team of students and um, teachers nice. and anyone who was interested. <laughs> and in, in Canada, there's a framework called comprehensive school health that kind of helps to, to frame that up a little bit mm-hmm. about whole, building whole school well-being. But that's what I would suggest is find, find some people and especially kids um, and bring in the student voice too. Because chances are really good that there's other people in your building who are also really passionate about this and are seeing the need for this type of proactive culture shift. Um, And so I would start there. And, you know, simple things can be around the via strength survey. That's a really simple starting point where you're just introducing some strength common language. Um, or little things like gratitude opportunities mm-hmm. uh, in, in staff meetings or in the school. That first school I was at, we created these, um, well, we didn't. They were actually in existence before I got there. Um, little postcards and, and our mascot was Scorpion. So they were called Way to Go Scorpions. And you just, you could go into the office and get a postcard and write a note of gratitude to someone. Oh, how nice. Um, and it just, it's such a simple thing, but it, everyone participated in it. And I still have my way to go scorpions <laughs> from those years. Like it, yeah. you know, those are the things that mean a lot. So little opportunities like that, where you could weave in a big talk question, a check-in mm-hmm. question, the start yeah. of your class or the start of a staff meeting. Then if you want to go a bit deeper and think about, you know, a whole school approach that's based on the school's needs, you can design some needs assessments and um, figure out where, where things are at and what, what area you'd like to target. And then search is actually a framework that Lee waters in Australia has, um, put a lot of work into developing it's evidence-based looking at where positive psychology meets education for research and the search framework just kind of helps, it definitely helps my mind to organize all of the different resources out there. Um, so it stands for strengths 
um, emotional management, attention and awareness, relationships, coping, and habits, um, and goal setting. So there's different strategies within each of those search pieces. Um, And so her, her website and paper have a lot you know, of resources there. And also reach out to me. I'm very um, passionate about this. And I really, really love to connect with other educators um, and people who also care about this and are curious about, um, you know, how, how to make it happen, how to make it work. Cause that's my big mission is taking like this, the science and the research piece and putting it into practice. <laughs> and I know that can be overwhelming. So Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned not to be overwhelmed or not to start with something really big, to look at a framework and then, you know, sort of it just two or three people just to start off because you're passionate about it. So someone who's like minded who wants to start and hopefully it catches on. And if it doesn't, you're affecting the students within, you know, within your own realm which is, exactly. which is wonderful. It, it's, it's very meaningful and you're feeling good about it. So it's something that makes you happy about going into the building every day. Exactly. And fuels your own well-being, which, which we totally need to. So, oh gosh, I, yes. <laughs> yeah. I love that you, you said that. Cause I think as educators, especially that's why, again, it's, it's celebrating our good news is so important because we, we come into this field. We're like, I'm going to change the world. I really want to make this huge impact. And we do human by human, you know, like that, that's really significant. I'm just so proud of educators um, overall, but this past year, it just, yeah, I feel honored to be amazing. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So inspired. And and what you hear often is, but I didn't reach that one student or those two students. And so they're racking their brains as they, you know, as they get off their computer or not get off their computer at the end of the day, uh, yeah. trying to figure out how they're going to be able to tomorrow do something different so that they can, rather than sometimes just taking a step back, reflecting and saying, oh, you know, what an impact I had on all of these students. And, you know, we'll get to, exactly. I'm going to still keep trying for the others that I didn't reach today. A hundred percent. And I, it's the, um, intentionality, like we need to be intentional to do that because, you know, our brains are wired to notice and focus more on the negative. You know, it's helped us help our ancestors survive, you know, we're hyper attuned (laughs) to things that are threatening to us, um, which is the negative or unpleasant experiences. You could have, you know, the most stellar lesson, and one student or like one thing goes awry and that's the only thing you focus on. <laughs> yep. At the end of the day, um, that's what you remember. Exactly. And, and to remember that we're wired that way. So that's, you know, it's, you're not bad for thinking that way. It's just, mm-hmm. that's why it takes even more conscious effort and intentionality to cultivate the good. And yeah. it's not ignoring the bad, but really maximizing on those good and positive moments when they come. <laughs> I love that. I love that way of thinking. That's terrific. Um, Dana, is there anything else that we didn't touch on? Any other advice that you, because you gave lots of advice and lots of resources, which like I said, I'll include in the show notes, but is there anything else that we didn't touch upon that you would like to mention? I think I'll just reiterate that, you know, as we're navigating these really odd and challenging times and Mm -hmm you know, in education as well, we're just, you're not ever uh, alone. And, you know, that's 
Isaac Pilotensky talks about how mattering can't happen in isolation either. So we've got, you know, these individual pieces that we can work on for our own well-being. And then just to always, you know, reach out for support with what you're doing in your schools or if you need help yourself. Um, and that sense of, of belonging sometimes requires us to, yeah, reach out, you know, and yeah. um, connect when we need to. It's that being vulnerable when mm -hmm. we feel like we need to appear that everything is okay, but yes. it's not okay. <laughs> and then day after day, when we try to do that, it really begins to build up. So yes, I love that advice. Yes, reach out if you need anything. You know, and I know, especially at this time, every, everybody's sort of looking at the others and saying, but they've got so much on their plate. Yeah, but they want to know how you're doing. And for mm -hmm. us to reach out, if we see that something is happening that goes for a student or, an, or a colleague, just to reach out and say, is everything okay? Asking those big questions, uh, if you feel comfortable doing so, just to make sure that the person knows that they do matter. I love that idea of a culture of mattering. Yeah, absolutely. And questions like, can I help you with something, <laughs> you know, or little things like that, just the, the check-in points and, and creating a routine around that check-in, I think can help normalize that as well, because yeah. it can be, as you say, super vulnerable to reach out and ask for help. So carving out time, you know, in a bit of more of a school routine, let's say, where you are checking in. I'll just mention one more thing too. There's uh, an article that came out in the spring, Brooke Anderson put together, it, it was on the Greater Good Science Center website. So I'll share this link with you too, but Perfect. she developed this list of questions, daily nudges basically to ask yourself um, through the pandemic. And I found them really helpful and people I've shared them with have kind of adapted them and, and found them helpful. Questions like, who am I checking in on today? How am I getting outside today? You know, how am I moving my body today? Some of these like just basic kind of checkpoints. So yeah. I've found reminders. that yeah. very, very mm -hmm. powerful kind of daily nudges and reminders and ways that you might be able to do that with your colleagues, like make it into an activity That's where <laughs> even if so it's a true. weekly walk or something like that, mm -hmm. so you can build in connection time plus some well-being practices. Yeah, that's wonderful. Dana, this has been absolutely fantastic, more than I even Thank expected. You. And I, I've, I've learned so much and, and uh, I'm sure that the listeners will benefit so much from all that you've talked about. You mentioned that um, you're happy for people to get in touch with you. So what's yes. the best way to find you? So my um, email, I'll give you my email to add in, in the show notes as well. I have a website forthcoming, which will also be in the show notes and uh, on Twitter. So at Dana Fulweiler. Perfect. Yes. And like I said, I'll, or like you said too, uh, <laughs> that'll all be included. And there are a lot of resources that I want to make sure when I go back and listen and uh, for the links I'm not sure about, I'll definitely reach out to you for them. Yeah, absolutely. Dana, thank you again. This has been wonderful. And I hope thank it's you, not the end, the end of the conversation because I'd love to continue it with you in the future when you have time. <laughs> I, I would love that so much. It's been a true honor. I am so grateful that you reached out and asked me to be on here, Eileen. Thank you so much for the connection. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're inspired by what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about belonging, check my website, Journeys to Belonging, that's Journeys number two belonging, dot webstarts.com. See you next week.